Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Biomass. We're on episode 196. We're glad you could join us today. We got the whole crew here, so let's get started with some introductions, starting at the top of the list with Sarayazel. Hi, I am uh, Sarayazel, and uh, I'm a co-host here on the show, and I play a fair bit of Blizzard games, specifically. It's like the best intro you've had in like six months. I'm proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> it lasted more than... I'm Zell, and I do things. So, if, if it helps, part of the length of this intro was that I decided to speak fairly slowly for it. Fairly slowly, because you think we're going to be low on time? No, I'm just. I figure if I speak fairly slowly, I'll I'll have like a twelve word intro, but it'll sound like I had a good intro, oh, and it worked. I gotcha. Okay. And it okay. worked. I didn't zip through it, and and you were like, "Oh, that's great." See, I was Perfect. taken back. I was very impressed. You should work on like a three word shout out that takes like five minutes or something. and We'll be good to go at the end. All right, Bate, you're up, man. Hey, guys, what's up? I'm Bate and I am Florida, man. How's the temperature down in Florida? 74 degrees right now. It was 80 oh, uh, at the peak of the day. It was fantastic. That's about where we're at right now in the morning. So it gets a little warmer in the day, but uh, not bad. Yeah, but I have humidity. That's true. That's true. It's dry and wonderful here. Hmm. All right, Jay, you're up, man. What's up, guys? This is Jay. I'm also one of the uh, co-hosts here on Biomast. I do a random number of things, mostly playing games and doing work and a lot of other kind of cool adult stuff that we like to do. Um, and Pokey has conned me into playing Monster Hunter World uh, based on his review <laughs> and and subsequent nagging and like poking of me, hence the name Pokey. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. And... Uh, in all my other spare time, I try to sample a pretty wide wide variety of mobile games. And uh, right now, I am digging for uh, the best cyberpunk games in the last probably three to five years that I can get my hands on. So that's probably the little collection scheme that I'm running right now. Supposedly, CD Projekt Red is going to be at E3 this year, and people are having fingers crossed for Cyberpunk 2077. So yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that. I am too, but I don't want to get my hopes up too much. Yeah. But I'm, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic. That's as one of our buzzwords here. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so little out on it, but uh, in terms of genre, I'm like, oh, please it, be good. Please well, be the Witcher of Cyberpunk. <laughs> if they, if they put up something that has half the content of Witcher, that's still double the content of most games. Yeah, so I I'd be okay with that. Um, I don't think they can just like strip down Witcher and make it a clone, but it's clear that they're they're going to have to do something kind of in that vein, just because that's that's sort of what they do. Uh, so, but like I said. Fingers crossed, cautiously optimistic, uh, very much hoping that something will come out of that. Yep, me too. We'll have to see. All right, and I am Pokey Draven. I help host the show here. I con people into playing games, um, you know, like Monster Hunter. And uh, yeah, so let's get started with some movie stuff. So, Zell, I know you went and saw Black Panther this weekend. Did I did. You, did you check it out too, Jay? Or are you still waiting like I am? No, I, I have unfortunately seen enough of it online and uh, via uh, YouTube and other people that I, I'm still going to go see it. But there's there's literally nothing in the game that is or nothing in the, the movies that's probably going to surprise me. Gotcha. All right. So, Zell, initial thoughts. It's not spoiler week yet. I still haven't I, seen it yet. But what did you think? I'm kind of I'm kind of with bait. Really? Huh. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not a bad movie. It really isn't. It's a 
it's a good solid marvel movie and uh i i i understand and i provide the context here for people who don't know i am one of the whitest guys in it, like the world um it, it's you can hold a sheet of paper up to my skin and it, it pretty much matches um but I, I mean i felt like i would have enjoyed it more if i hadn't heard from each and every person on the face of the internet except bait that it was the greatest marvel mm, movie yeah. ever because i i, I like damp man more I'll tell you, I, you know, I, I liked Guardians of the Galaxy more. There are, you know, this is a much more serious Marvel film. Um, and I, I like I like a bit of wit and comedy more so than there was in this film. Um, but, you know, I understand they were approaching a very serious and, and sensitive topic uh, in a Marvel movie, which is is kind of hard to do to begin with. So um, I, I did enjoy it. Uh, it just wasn't the greatest thing I'd ever seen. So you, you kind of mentioned that you tend to prefer a, a more, you know, humorous, witty film, and that's that's perfectly fine. You did say that they're trying to be more serious with this one. Do you think that despite your personal preferences, they were successful in trying to say what they wanted to say? Um, hmm. I, I, I'm not sure. It, it, I, I've read some fair criticisms of the movie uh, that I think kind of indicate suggest they didn't. I it. It's it's weird because in some ways the villain appears to be right for some of the movie, or at least in some of his approach. Um, but uh, and there's a significant amount of the hero being wrong or taking what is probably the wrong side of things. And I, I don't know. I, I don't really know. OK, that's fair. Um, yeah, I'm, I still haven't seen it yet, so I'm. I'm... I've been avoiding spoilers, so I'm kind of curious to see what they they go with. In you know, like your quick like thirty second elevator pitch, what is the plot of the movie? And I swear to God, if you say black people go on a spaceship, I'm gonna stab you. So, Zell, do better than bait. What's the movie actually about? Can I? I, I don't know if I can. <laughs> I don't know if I can say it without spoiling it. Okay. I, so I mean, two words, man. Wakanda forever. Uh, I mean. You know, Wakanda Forever just sounds just a slight bit like America First. I'm just saying. Um, hey, for the record, you realize that a large part of this movie is about people in Africa building a wall to keep refugees out. Right? Uh, yeah, uh, yes, yes, it is. Yeah, it, it's no, that's that's not unintentional, I think. And and but yeah, it, it's yeah, it's it's very hard, I think, to talk about this movie a whole lot without spoiling it. Okay, um, that's fair. Yeah, I don't want you to spoil it. I was just kind of curious if you could, if there was more than just black people on a spaceship. But you know, if it's spoiler stuff, then then you don't have to go too far. I don't think that's actually a spaceship. I don't think there are any spaceships in this yeah, movie. It's, actually, it's Florida well, man it's speaking. A, so I mean, come dude, on, you, it's a like, spaceship, man. It. it, it it's a. It it's literally a, looks like a spaceship. It hovers. So. It hovers. It's okay. not. It's, you can't shoot it into space. It's Wait, not going to work in space. Hover. Fuck you. Is this the same thing he had in Civil War? Is that what he's talking about? Uh, I don't remember what he had in I Civil War. You, you see it for like three seconds when they're over the prison base. Yes, probably. Uh, yes. Okay. Probably. okay. Yes. Just curious. It's the not spaceship. a. It doesn't go in space. Okay. No there is. Know. There is. Okay. There is oh, no space in this movie. This, but this will is there like, be an Infinity War? Yes, yes. And they're going to go to space. On okay. I, okay. I doubt they'll go to space <laughs> in this. This is the bet that we're going to place right here that I do not think that Black Panther's spaceship 
Well, darn it! <laughs> Black Panther's hovership thing will ever go to space. I don't think it will. No, I mean, that being said, I think they that Marvel has just about put that anything that flies can, can go technically into go into space. Hell yeah! They, um, Hell carrier uh, goes to space. The Black Panther spaceship goes the, to space. The, the new uh, in in season five of Marvel, the the airplane that they have goes into space. Season um, five of Marvel. Uh, sorry, Agents of Shield. Um, it's still on. Yes, it's still on, and it, it's decent. But um, yeah, so they modified that thing so it can go into space. Um, you know, because the plot. Okay, well, we'll we'll have to see who's right on the. Uh, is it a spaceship when Infinity War comes out? Uh, but um, so yeah, I'll I'll hopefully be seeing Black Panther next weekend before the show. So All we right, can talk about it. L- let me put it. Let me put. Uh, let me try this. Hold on. Um, so. I would say that this is a movie about whether or not people should have a responsibility to do something to to help people in a worse situation than Okay. That's fair. No, that's that's that could be an interesting setup for a film. Okay. So overall, Zell, we kind of do this every once in a while. Like one out of ten, where would you put this one with, you know, five being average? Like a six or seven. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. So we'll, like I said, I'll, I'll hopefully check that one out uh, next weekend, and then we'll kind of do a more uh, in-depth look at it and, and talk about things that are actually spoilers for the film, and kind of give our final thoughts on it. So that'll be coming next week. So up next, another thing I I, I saw like moments before uh, we got started here, so I didn't have a chance to watch it. So have you guys heard of a game called Papers Please? It's kind of a small mm-hmm. pixel indie game. Yeah. I- yeah, I've heard of it. I, I knew very, very little about it outside the trailer you saw. I've uh, I've tried it. Um, it's the the actual game itself is um fairly simple. It's it's like you could totally see it as like a little flash game where you just see someone walk up and they hand you you know you're you're um you are a customs official for this you know dictatorship and communist whatever um and you you get given someone's passport and you have a set of of rules that you're supposed to check on whether or not you're supposed to allow them through the gate and that's really all the the game is is, is, well there's a little more to what they're going for with that though is that you know you have people that come up and they're like please you know my we we have nowhere else to go we're going to die if you don't let us in but they don't they don't qualify so you kind of have to make the moral choice of do i let them in or not uh, the thing is that you can get caught and, you know, your accuracy rating affects your own income. So you, you know, might starve if you help too many people. And so the the point of the game isn't really something you win or lose. It's just a, you know, m- meant to set up like a morally ambiguous situation where, you know, do you value other people's hardship over your own, which is, you know, is kind of what they're going for. So I've actually not given it a shot yet. I need to, I need to go buy it and check it out because I've, I've seen people talk about it and it seems interesting. Um, but there is a small movie, a short movie, uh, that Netflix actually put out. I think it came out like yesterday. So it's actually out and, and good to go, uh, about 10 minutes long. It's basically based off of kind of what they were going for in that game. And I think it's actually called papers, please. Uh, and it should be available for streaming on Netflix. So it's kind of meant to, again, kind of show the, the moral ambiguity, ambiguity of, of that kind of situation and, you know, how people deal with it and that sort of thing. So uh, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, um, but it is available on Netflix right now. So you should be able to, to check it out at the time of the airing of this show. Being a, a 10 minute long short thing, being Netflix is kind of, that's interesting. Is, is it like 
Netflix ex- exclusive, or well, it says it's going to debut on YouTube Ooh, soon. Oh, I'm sorry. Does it say? Uh, did I it's mess a, this it's up? A, I, I was very confused. Maybe, you, maybe like, it's YouTube. Okay, uh, I might but, be wrong. You, you wrote now available on Netflix in the notes, but the actual link says will debut on YouTube this weekend. So I, I blame you. Is this... You blame me, yes. Now, is this going to be on via YouTube Red or just YouTube for everybody? Ooh, good question. Let me take a look. Look on, let me take a look at YouTube. See if I can find it. Is it out? It's just oh, a, yeah, it's on just February twenty fourth. Yeah, it should be out. Uh, Papers Please short film. Yeah, it looks like it's about eleven minutes long, and it is out on YouTube right now. I don't so you, think it's red, so I think you should have access to it immediately. So you do not need to subscribe to any services to watch nope. the ten minute video. That's so. that's my so understanding. It's on YouTube. Yes, um, it's not on Netflix. I do apologize, but it is on YouTube, so you can go check it out right now. Okay, so moving along here, uh, CCP Games. These are the dudes that make Eve Online. Uh, they made Dust Five One Four. They're working on Project Nova pretty well known uh, within that kind of circle of knowledge. So today we're talking about EVE Online. And so EVE Online is a space simulator, we'll call it that. Um, It's a very social game, so social tools are typically very important. Uh, I know all of us have played EVE at some point. Show of hands, how many of you actually use the in-game voice chat with EVE, or did you use a third-party app? Well, you can't see our hands if we're they were up. We're because, just, because, just, just make a hand-raising sound. Um, but n- nobody uses it. Um, yeah. It's, it's uh, specifically, uh, CCP said 0.4% of players uh, used the in-game voice chat Neve, um, which isn't much. Pretty much all organized um, corps and alliances do something like you know, uh, mumble, TeamSpeak, Ventrilo, that sort of sort of third-party software where you can get a lot more configuration with it. And... Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty typical for for PC-based games that you'll have you know a voice chat, but if you're really organizing beyond like a simple matchmaking situation, typically speaking, you're going to organize via third-party app. Like you said, Mumble or Discord is just pretty popular now for that sort of thing. And the, the in-game voice chat was just really underutilized. And uh, one of the kind of the, the, the points that, that for you know us, kind of as a group, would probably note is that uh, Dust514, which was the first-person shooter game on the PS3, had access to the Eve voice chat. And if you guys were at all involved with working with uh, EVE players with that kind of cross-game uh, interaction, it was actually a complaint you'd get a lot of times, the EVE players trying to figure out how to actually use the in-game chat because they never use it. Because the only way you could actually talk via voice between Dust and EVE without using like a computer uh, was through this chat. So it was something that you know, CCP was kind of weird about in the fact that when it first came out for Dust, you had to buy buy this item in game called a UVT or a Universal Voice Transmitter, and it was about I think a buck fifty two dollars a month. It's not too expensive, but it was required in order to speak in custom channels between you know uh, even groups within Dust or groups you know between Dust and Eve. You still had like in-game in-battle chat, but if you wanted to talk in any other custom setting or via Eve, you had to pay for this thing. So obviously there was some cost involved to CCP that they were trying to kind of mitigate because they're like, oh God, we got to handle all these extra connections now and we'll see if we can charge them for it. And it, it didn't go well. People didn't like it. I don't think it sold very well. Uh, and they eventually removed the requirement from, from Dust, but it kind of shows that this sort of system to keep it running is 
probably not exactly cheap. And when you've got 0.4% of people using it, which is even less than the number of people that were using the captain's quarters, which was also removed, it gets to a point where they're like, you know what, we don't, we don't really need to be paying for this because it's not going to affect many people. Did you say that UVT was two bucks a month? I think so, yeah. It was 30 days. It was, was like a buck. I forget what it came out to, like once you converted the worm over or whatever, but I think it was about $2. But a month, man? Holy cow. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was, at the time, you know, I was like doing the whole full booster thing. So I was running active and passive boosters. I think that came out to like 15 bucks a month with those running. So $2 more, I was like, yeah, whatever. But for someone who wanted to play it as a free to play game, you know, having the, you need to pay to even do voice chat is not a really great, you know, marketing point. So it's probably why they eventually got rid of it because people just really disliked it. And it was, it was shitty because you'd have people get into your corp and you wanted to interact with them, but you're like, uh, oh, you don't have a UVT, like shit. Like you need to have that if you want to be part of like corp meetings and that sort of thing. So it was, it was really clunky and people didn't like it and it was just, it it didn't work well. Um, And uh, you know, so obviously because they had the UVT, there's some expense involved in this voice system. And, you know, they've just kind of eaten as part of the subscription cost for EVE players, but, it, you know, it's understandable that if not a lot of people are using it, they're just makes sense to get rid of it, save the money. Well, especially since, you know, there's so many other options that are free, um, like Discord is free. Uh, I think, does TeamSpeak have a free option? I forget. Um, TeamSpeak but... is, uh, you you have a, someone has to have a server, and so That's you can right. run your you own server, server, rent one. It's it's like uh, it's like Mumble and, and Ventrilo in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, there's there's a cost, but there's lots of options available. Um, other MMOs don't even have voice, like Final Fantasy XIV doesn't even have voice chat. They just said, we don't give a shit. It's just all text, and you can sort it out for yourself outside of game. Um, and people are fine with it, you know. I, I did find it interesting that just as I, I the same week that e- CCP announced they're removing this, Heroes of the Storm actually just added voice chat uh, built in, like, this week. Really? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Then again, I mean, it, maybe just the way that Heroes of the Storm is set up, there's less players and it's maybe cheaper to run it that way. I'm not sure. That's because, I mean, you can have like an unlimited number of people in a voice server in Eve, or you could at least, right? Or does anyone know? Because no one used it. Uh, uh... No one knows. Okay. Regardless, it's gone. Is it gone right now or is it going to be going soon? Oh, uh, it's is going it... away in March. In, in March. Okay. In March. Okay. Well, you know. Bait, I know you play Eve. Do you think anyone you know is going to care about this, or are you guys pretty much just beyond it? No, we all honestly, when when because uh, I saw the link when uh, uh, Jadik, who is the keeper of all links on the internet, posted it, um, and I think all of Incor was like, "Oh yeah, that's still a thing." We just totally forgot about it. I mean, because we use Discord for all of our Eve stuff. Yeah, for you know the ten minutes of of actual Eve content that you're going to get. So, yep, yep. Okay, yeah, no, I, I don't think it's going to cause too many waves. I mean, yeah, some people are affected by it, but like I said, there's so many free options out there that, you know, you can sort it out, and I'm sure that they'll, people will find workarounds that won't be too disruptive. So, you know, with, you know, dust gone, the need for it beyond, you know, just in-game stuff is, is kind of gone as well. So it's like, eh, we'll move along. You know, it's it's not that big of a deal, so I think it'll be fine. So moving along to another game, uh, Paladins. Paladins is... As people will say, the Overwatch clone. Uh, it's it's similar in the fact that it is a first person, you know, MOBA style shooter where or hero, you know, hero combat arena thing. Um, 
and we've talked about it in the past, and I actually, I play Paladins ever so often. I did a little bit more uh, a few months ago. I haven't played much lately, but we have talked about how they were adding a Battle Royale game mode because, of course, everyone has to have one now, and it's just called Paladins Battlegrounds. So I haven't had a chance to test it out yet. Uh, my brother, I think, downloaded it for me, but I haven't had a chance to actually load it up. Uh, and this is a 100-person, you know, Battle Royale sort of thing using characters and paladins and it's a very heavily class-based game which is kind of interesting because most battle royale games are everyone's kind of the same there's really no difference or you know classes so to speak but i'm kind of curious to see how this one's actually going to play out but regardless it is available for testing now uh, you can go out and give it a shot if you uh you know have paladins it's a free-to-play game so you can go give it a shot right now if you like and, uh, you know, I, I'll give it a shot and tell you, tell you guys what I think. I think it should be interesting. I don't tend to like uh, Battle Royale games, but just by the nature of how this sort of combat plays out compared to, you know, a shooter like uh, PUBG or Fortnite, uh, I think I might like this one a little bit more just because they have to kind of take that time to kill up a bit more, which is usually what I don't like about those kinds of games. So I've got some 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 moderate hopes for it that it could be interesting, but you know we'll give it a shot. I'll probably get back to you next week on that one. The big one though is that Paladins has also been kind of uh, wrapped up in a bit of a controversy with one of their most recent updates. So it has to do with how the character building system works in the game. Okay, so originally when I first started playing, the way it would work is that your character came with a series of cards, and each card provided like a modifier for an ability or a buff like more health that sort of thing and you'd select five cards and you would kind of place them in your your loadout and then you would select what level you wanted each card to be i think it went up through four or something like that and so you know one being the weakest version of that card and four being the highest so you know it'd be like plus 50 hp per level for like a, an hp booster and so you load up your cards and you had like a max cost per loadout. I think it was like 20 points or something like that, or I forget what it was. But you basically had to, to, to dial up and down which cards you wanted uh, to fit within kind of that total limit. So kind of almost like, you know, Dust's fitting system in a very simplistic sense where you pick your modules and, you know, the higher grade ones consume more of this fitting resource and you can't exceed that fitting resource. It worked pretty well. The problem was is that to get new cards, you typically had to get them from a loot box, and you could purchase those with either you know in-game currency or with like a premium currency. And it was really, really grindy. Like it was really hard to get specific cards you wanted. And in the way that you would get them is you'd play matches. Um, you know, daily things would get you loot boxes or get you currency to buy loot boxes. And so you'd buy them. You'd get a random spread of cards and duplicate cards that you already had would be converted to i think it was called essence and then you could you know spend the essence to you know buy more loot boxes and try to get the cards you wanted it was really grindy it was one of my biggest frustrations with the game is that it was like i i, I want to build a certain character but i need this one card and i've got to I can't even try it out until I invest a ton of either money or time into getting that one card, and I may not even like it. And it was it was kind of frustrating. People weren't very satisfied with it, um, and so they said, "Don't worry, we're going we're to change it, so it's it's fine." So they came out with this cards unbound system, and at first it sounded really nice. You know, it was like, "Hey, you start off with all cards." And as you play the game, you can level them up to like increase their max potency. 
um, using like this essence stuff that you get. And I was like, okay, so it's almost like you you level up each card individually, and you can kind of build into what you want. And I was talking to my brother about it. I'm like, okay, so what's the new card limit like for how much you can have in a loadout? And he's like, well, there's there's no card limit. You can just max out every single card to the highest potency, and just do your entire loadout that way. And so what this did is it got to the point where it's like, okay, so you the only way to level up these cards is to buy loot boxes. And since there's no cap on it, the more loot boxes you buy, the more powerful your character gets. And of course, the pay-to-win complaint started to come out, um, which I would kind of agree with. It is I wasn't very comfortable with it when it came out. The, the differences in card tiers is somewhat small, but I could see coming from a new player perspective where you're starting at like level one, you got to get to five. Like you're really heavily encouraged to buy these things to get more competitive. So there's a big, big fuss about it. People were up in arms, you know, obviously that's kind of the, the theme for this year is loot boxes are evil or pay to win is evil. And uh, Paladins has now come out and said, Hey, you're right. We screwed up. We, this isn't how we want it to be, which whatever. Um, but they got a new system coming out. So the whole pay to win mechanic is supposedly going away. They've got something that's different from the pay to win and different from the original that will hopefully be better. Um, we'll have to see. So they're working on it. I don't think there's any you know set release date on when that's going to come out, but something to consider that, you know, if you were kind of frustrated with Paladins because of kind of that pay to win feel that was developing with the cards unbound update, uh, that is going to be changing. So, you know, keep that in mind. If you liked the game before and you were frustrated with it, um, hopefully things are a little bit better. And, uh, you know, it'll be good to try that out when it comes out as well as the uh, Battlegrounds update. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So moving along here, we have uh, another kind of interesting um, premium service. So Overwatch and Twitch have joined in a partnership, and there's a new mechanic where you can cheer through Twitch for your favorite Overwatch League team. So, Zell, I think you're a little more versed in this. Could you kind of walk us through how the system works and how it's being monetized and that sort of thing? Um, Yeah. So uh, basically... Twitch introduced this feature where you can, uh, while watching uh, Overwatch League games, you can uh, cheer with bits, which, of course, uh, you have to pay for the bits. Um, and so this is a system where you can spend money for a big pile of bits to, to cheer, and, and it unlocks like emotes that you can use around Twitch, and I think you get uh, credit for uh, like these... Uh, the currency that you can buy overwatch skins that like the the league team skins uh in overwatch um i think you can get those as part of this system hmm. um but so the the distinct point is that apparently since they've introduced this people have spent $150,000 on um bits to cheer for the overwatch league teams and even though you're cheering for specific teams those teams don't get any of the money. <laughs> um, they they had this statement that they put out that um, it over, it supports the general partnership between Twitch and Blizzard, and in that way helps the teams. <laughs> so, what do you guys think about that? Do you think that's fair um, or well, fair is relative. I mean, yeah, if if you if the you you can cheer your team on and do whatever and put money into it, that's fine, but as long as it did not intimate in any way that this money was like basically almost like Kickstarter money for the teams directly, 
like I'm fine with it. Now, if there was a there was a hint, if there was some sort of illusion that that money was funding the team itself, uh, which I think is patently false anyway, just based on the amount of money that that that's getting thrown around in this thing. Um, I I think that would be I think that'd be a little bit bad. But I I mean, this is just giving people a, a way to spend money. I think uh, on on effectively nothing. Uh, the short answer is sign up for Twitch and you know watch your team or dare I say, go to the Overwatch website, or you can go in-game now. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but in-game, you can click directly on and watch the games like, like from from your PS4 like client. So, uh, sure, whatever. If people want to spend money that way, that's fine. As long as it's not under like kind of a false flag, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of with Jay that if it's if it's clearly stated, you know, maybe people didn't read the fine print, and I'm sure Twitch didn't make it obvious that you know hey none of this goes to the teams um as long as there was no implication that it was one way over the other and people thought it was one way yeah you know you, you're paying for a service um i think it's a little i personally wouldn't do something like this um so i, I think it's a little silly just to add the whole thing altogether. Uh, but i think as long as they were transparent with we never said it was going to the teams i don't see why people would be upset by it i mean you're basically paying twitch who implemented a service to do something on Twitch, you know, it, you know, it is what it is. It doesn't really bother me that much. Eh? So, you know, it's crazy. Some of the people they're like, Oh, they spent like $1,700 on this. I'm like, Holy shit. Like <laughs> some people have some, some really intense feelings about this sort of thing, but you know, it is what it is. And I, I personally don't think that Twitch is really in the wrong here as long as, like Jay said, there wasn't some promise or implication that it was going to be going to the teams. I mean, these teams make a salary. Like, they're they're being paid to do this. It's not like you have to necessarily fund it. It's already funded. So it doesn't really bother me. What about you, Zell? How do you feel about, uh, you know, if you think this is appropriate or not? I mean, I, I get it. It's just one of those things. It's a, it's a weird way to make money. And, you know, I, I was reading about that, I guess, Twitch paid Blizzard like $90 million yep. to um to to get the rights to, to stream this. So, you know, they got to make their money somewhere. Um, But a, a weird little emote game, like I got the email about it. I got like, you know, you could cheer for your teams. Uh, you know, I got this in my email and I'm looking at it and it's like you can earn skins. I'm like, this sounds interesting. I might do it. And then I'm like. Oh, I was reading the, the, you know, my general news readers. It's like, oh, you have to, you have to pay to cheer. Okay. So you, you can get like a, you mentioned that you can get like that, that team skins for yourself in Overwatch. If you cheer for them, is that how it works? Or am I reading that wrong? I believe that is, I mean, you get like, there's a currency in Overwatch that's separate from the ones that you get to unlock other like it's gold. You can unlock skins and emotes and various things. Uh, there's a different currency. I forget what it's called that you can use to buy the Overwatch League team skins. Um, and so I believe you can earn that uh, through cheering. Hmm. Oh, OK. Well, in that case, it's like, all right, you're getting something for it. You know, yeah, I don't I don't think this is really something to be to be upset over but you know obviously some people are upset about it but you know i, I think personally it's, i just think it's really deal. i just think it's, it's really kind of strange oh it's weird like no doubt i think it's bizarre that's why i last kind of silly in my opinion but you know 
obviously some people are into it if they've made 150 grand off of it already. It's only they, been the first season. It's not even I think they yet. said that like the the user that is is on the because there's leaderboards for it for how much people cheer. Oh, jeez, that's and, how they get them. And and they checked and at the best discount possible, the uh, person who's on top of the leaderboard has spent fifteen hundred dollars on bits to cheer in overwatch streams ridiculous nice because there's nothing you could have possibly used that money for that was a little more productive in your overall life whatever you know there's there's always that one guy who just goes all in like you know invests like a thousand plus dollars in some some weird like space stimulator startup you know about citizens and near the stars and that sort of thing. There's always that one guy that, you know, um, I'm sorry. Money, 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 I'm sorry. Money, money. So I, had, I had to go there. Um, for the record, I don't know the exact amount of money Zealous invested in star citizen, but I know that there are those who have done Hashtag way more than him. Fuck time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we give Zell shit, but he's, he's not really that guy. He's like, you know, down on the list, that guy, like above everyone else, but below those guys. So, hey, no, he's I, all I right. Know. I'm not sure about that because, you know, like in most games, you know, like the, there's the ubiquitous term, the whale, you know, like the guy that's spending the money, which is actually a rip off of a gambling term, sim- similar to the same thing. Uh, then you had like the little fish you know, or, or the dolphins, if you will, which were the people that would put money in. But it was, you know, a, a fairly heavy amount, uh, but it wasn't crazy. But the whales, you had those. And then you had this whole other class of client referred to as the Leviathans. I think one of them's name was Zell. <laughs> Zell's determined to be the Denny Fleetfoot of uh, Star Citizen. No, no, I don't even, I don't even <laughs> hit like the dude. I'm in the low tier of Star Citizen spenders, which is scary because you're not terrifying. wrong. <laughs> That's terrifying because I've I I have paid into this for forty five dollars and I'm like even I feel a little silly about it. Um, Anyways, I'm not. I'm not going to get into that. We had to. I had to give Zell a little bit of shit for that one, but uh, he knows we're kidding. All right. So one more thing I wanted to touch on here, just kind of gaming news. Uh, Final Fantasy 15, um, a game that I've played on PS4 uh, and PS4 Pro. Uh, I enjoyed it. Not a bad game. Windows Edition is coming out, so they kind of did a, a little stream talking about you know different features that are going to be included in the Windows version, that sort of thing. Some mods that are going to be available because uh, it is going to have mod support, which is kind of cool. And then uh, Hajita Tabata, the, the director for the game, comes out with a Half-Life um, head crab hat on. And everyone's like, what the, what the fuck? And so he, he then announces that basically if you uh, pre-purchase the game on Steam, um, you uh, will be able to get a Gordon Freeman outfit for Noctis, the main character, and a crowbar weapon if you pre-order um, before May 1st. So... If you want your Half-Life uh, outfit for Final Fantasy 15, you can actually, you know, get in there, pre-purchase the game before the first, and uh, be good to go. Um, if you're a little not quite sure on the game, however, um, starting Monday the 26th of this month, so uh, tomorrow as of recording, but it'll be past that by the time this comes out, uh, there is going to be a free demo available on Steam for the PC version of Final Fantasy 15. So it's going to give you the entirety of Chapter 1. Um, just kind of as a reference, there's 15 chapters in the game, um, but one is is pretty beefy. So if you have been kind of looking at this game or if you're just curious on what people are talking about, and you got a PC, you can check it out. There's going to be a demo available. And if you like it, pre-order before the 1st of May, and you can get your Half-Life uh, outfit for Noctis and a crowbar weapon. So 
Uh, should be kind of interesting. I'm not sure if I'm going to pick this one up or not. I've played kind of the hell out of that game. Um, but there are they are adding some new stuff to the PC version, so I'll think about it. But I, I'll at least try the demo and kind of see how it plays on my PC. So keep an eye out for that one. Okay, so moving along to some some reviews here. So a game that I've been talking about for some time, I've been playing for a while, Monster Hunter World. So uh, Jay messaged me uh, a couple days ago and said, Pokey, I need you no bullshit answer. You know, should I get Monster Hunter World? So I immediately turned around and gave him some very non-committal bullshit. Um, trying to protect myself from, you know, <laughs> from him buying it and me being potentially at fault for him not liking it if it just didn't jive with him. So um, he he bought my bullshit and went and bought the game. So, Jay, we haven't had a chance to play yet on Monster Hunter World, but just from your own experiences playing alone, what do you think about the game so far? Um, okay, so uh, I will – let me frame this. I think I'm about uh, – maybe maybe 11 or 12 maybe maybe 10 hours and 10 somewhere between 10 and 12 hours and i'm not not exactly sure but that's that's about the sum total of of what i've played um my my hunter rank which i think is like four or five it's like four or five or something like so it's not not incredibly high uh but my overall impression is that i do enjoy the game but with some significant caveats to it so overall uh, most of what Pokey indicated in his review from a thematic standpoint, I 100% agree with. The game looks beautiful. It is a, you know, like visually, the soundtrack, the audio to it, and, and actually, you know, directional directional tones and directional sound in the game are actually a huge key to, to playing the game. And they do all of that really well. The monsters themselves are really, really neat and really interesting. They're all different. They all have, you know, light tweaks to, I mean, definitely, you know, different, different attacks and styles, but, you know, there's weak points on each one that you got to learn that there's no health bar, which is a, one of the things that threw me off at first, like no health bar for the bad guy. So you, you really have to watch the animations and the tells of the, of the uh, kind of the creatures you're going after you to, to understand what's going on with them. So all that being said, and, and you know, all that's accurate. Uh, and it is incredibly deep in terms of the different systems and subsystems in the games, which I'll, I'll kind of talk about in a minute, uh, almost to the point where it's a, it's a bit intimidating. Um, and it doesn't explain much to you either, by the way. You get a very high-level gloss over what's going on in the game. Now, that being said, um, if you kind of like loot-driven games, uh, there's not i mean there's some kind of rpg-esque elements it's really more about leveling your your stuff and your gear um as opposed to you this this has a lot of potential so uh it, it would it is not it is not an accurate statement to say that this is like a fantasy version of uh, of destiny of the of like destiny one or two that is not an accurate statement uh the gameplay itself is you know definitely more strategic it's definitely, uh, well, tactical is probably the better word. And it's not so much about twitch skills. It's not so much about like reflexes and, you know, things like that. Now, you do have to know some combos, almost fighting game style combos. But um, the pace of the battles is dramatically different because the game does a really good job of making sure that you realize really early that you're effectively fighting things that are size of dinosaurs or bigger and you're like a normal sized person. And everything in the game continually reminds you of that when you get one-shotted, stepped on, 
chased halfway across a map or whatever. And the weapon that you have is, is like you see the damage counters of like two, two, five, two, three, three, five, two. And you know you're not really hurting this thing. <laughs> um, now, the movement itself is what really, really kind of struck me. So I, I was my first impression, I was thinking it was going to be a bit more free flowing, a bit more a dynamic game, kind of kind of Destiny or even a Mass Effect style combat type thing. That is absolutely not the case. Um the movie, the movement initially felt to me clumsy and clunky. Um, I don't think that's actually the case. I think it's, it's just really there to telegraph you versus a big monster. That doesn't mean it's not frustrating as you're learning it either. Uh, the weapons are very, very different. There's a huge assortment of weapons, like a lot of level up and skill trees and weapons. Really interesting. There's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of systems in there, and there's a lot of things that you can do in the game that I am barely touching the surface on. Um, so overall, I, I would stand by Pokey's, uh, I think you gave it a 9 out of 10, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Yeah, I would stand by that uh, with a couple caveats that, that this game absolutely may not be for you. Uh, you kind of have to get used to it a little bit. <clears throat> and uh, I, the, you know, the other thing I'll tell you is solo play is not nearly as fun as group play. Uh, so once I figured out how you can actually connect with other people on a hunt, that was huge. Uh, trying to do some of these things solo is, is, is effectively like everyone's like, oh, yeah, you can solo that shit up to like level whatever. Like that's clearly somebody who's like level 50 going down and playing like a low level monster and saying, yeah, no problem soloing it. That's not that's not you starting out like for most gamers. So there's a, there's a little Dark Souls in this going on in this thing, which is not a bad thing, but you just got to kind of know what you're getting. Uh, so outside of the movement type stuff, uh, so that's something you can learn. And, and again, it's more tactical gameplay versus Twitch skills, minute to minute type stuff. Uh, so once you kind of get that in your head, it helps you out a lot. Uh, I, I started playing with a range weapon, the bow gun, which is closest to a rifle you get. I struggled really bad with that. I switched over to the bow, the actual bow and arrow bow, and I'm doing much, much better. Thanks to a couple of videos that Pokey uh, swung me. Uh, so that's, you know, like I said, the movement, I, I, it's not my, not my favorite thing about the game by any stretch, but you can get used to it. Uh, a couple things though, because of the number of subsystems, subsystems in the game, it, it, there's not a really good encapsulated way of describing what they mean and what they really do for you and how do you access these things. Thankfully, here on the interwebs, you have a gazillion really good YouTubers out there or game bloggers that give you a lot of guides. The this kind of leads me into an interesting thought that I wonder how many games like this are out there that are like, you know, we don't have to explain too much in the game. You know, we need to explain some, but because within two weeks of the game coming out, there's going to be any number of definitive, how do you do this best guides, you know, from fairly professionally done videos or, or, or articles out there in the interweb. So it kind of makes you wonder if, if people almost program that into when they release a game, how much do they explain it to you about it so you can get into it. Um, but there is that. So you got to understand that there's going to be a lot of parts of the game that you got to figure out or just, you know, do a little YouTube hunting. Um, the last piece, and, and this is the thing where I would differ a little, or this is where I would say, if there's a thing that's really keeping this from getting, like I probably, I, me personally, I probably would have gave it an, like about an eight out of 10, but I totally buy the nine out of 10 because it's really about, does this game work for you? Uh, and so if you're, if you like the kind of classic Japanese RPG or the monster hunter series in general, 
this is 100% a game for you. And a whole lot of people are playing it. It's fun. It's frustrating a little bit, but it is fun. So I'm buying the 9 out of 10. The one thing that is really holding it back in my mind is they need to have a better multiplayer architecture. So you can get, you can start your online, I don't know, shard or whatever they call it, or, you know, your, your instance, if you will, at the, at the social space. Uh, so it's not like destiny where it's just like, however many people are there, there, there's like a cap on, on, on what you can put into that, that uh, online sort of instance. Um, and people come in and out all the time, but so you got that. And you can party up, which is, I, I've tried it only once, but it was a little, it's definitely cumbersome. And then when you're in, in your expedition or your actual planned hunt or, you know, your investigation or one of the numerous different activity based things, which all really all revolve around hunting monsters and collecting stuff. Um, you can do this thing called send up an SOS flare, which is sort of like a open invite to your instance or your game. Now that you, now that you get a monster. Now the trick is you've got to go find the monster. So that puts you in this really weird position of you actually do have to track these things down, which is kind of a neat, neat deal. Um, you track it down, find it. And then you go through a cutscene, which generally leads you into, I'm running for my life and desperately trying to get to a spot where I can hide long enough to throw up this SOS flare, which will let other players know that they can join me in my specific dungeon, quote unquote, or my monster instance to help me hunt this thing. That is horrible. Uh, the way that that's set up, um, mostly because you are at an incredible position of disadvantage. So SOS is the real deal. Uh, the problem is, or the issue though, is you know you're going to call SOS every time you go out and find one of these things. You know you are, because the the bigger the monster, the more critical it is to have more people with you to have any chance of knocking these things down. And even one of the lower level monsters, it'll take you 10 minutes to kill it, easy. Some of the higher level ones, it, unless you have a pack of people, you're in. You know, you might as well bring a lunch. So there, the one thing you know, like a game like Destiny, for example, does really, really well is that uh, on-the-fly co-op and squatting, it does that exceptionally well. So that's a that's definitely something that I think Monster Hunter probably, if there was something that they could do in a future, future update, uh, that'd be great. Now, uh, my understanding is this is definitely setting up for um, uh, kind of a games-as-a-service model where they're going to have some DLCs coming out. They're, they're looking to have this thing go out for probably a couple, three years, I bet. So overall, there's a lot of room to grow. It's, a, you know, in terms of multiplayer, the learning curve is steep, either in the gameplay or the systems. Uh, but there's a lot of enjoyment to be had uh, with the caveat that you really, really need to play with other people. So that's my initial impression. So, yeah, I would definitely echo a lot of what Pokey said. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly worth a look. It, it is cer certainly worth a look. And you definitely get a full, like we always beef about when, you know, are you really getting your 50 or 60 bucks out of a game? You can absolutely get your 50 or 60 bucks at, bucks worth out of this game. Just in terms of scale of what it offers, absolutely you can. So uh, that's, I think, my initial shot on it. Okay, yeah. Uh, I hear you on the multiplayer thing. And I think that the way that it, the way that the game supports single players is like you said, terrible. The SOS system is very clunky. It doesn't really work. Um, it's frustrating. The way that we do it, because we kind of have a, a more fixed group of people that tend to play together, is that you can actually form what is effectively like a clan, and you can have up to like eight clans you're part of. Or I think it's squad. They're called squads. Um, 
And so what you do is when you load the game up and you're picking how you want to, you know, enter into one of those lobbies, the bottom option is like a, like a squad search. And so what that does, if you've preformed a group, so like let's say you joined my group of people, you click on that one, you say, I want to join an instance that has this group of people in it. And what it will do is it will then either find someone who's online in that group and join into their instance, or it will create one and allow people to join in on you that are also from that group. Um, and so once you've kind of got a predefined group in once you're like in the, um, in the kind of the hub world there, the way we were doing it is we'd go in, get the cutscene to find the monster and then back out of the mission. And then we'd have someone repost the mission and then all join that and then launch together as a group and then find it again. That part is kind of shitty, but later on when you're kind of in the more grind stage where you're, you know, hunting certain monsters to get certain parts, or you need to do a certain optional quest, things that aren't going to have a cutscene so you can all just go in immediately as a group, that system is far more streamlined. It works way, way better. So it requires a bit of setup, a bit of, a bit of setup. It's not terribly clear on how to do it. It took me probably about a, a full evening to kind of sort it all out and get it set up before we could actually start doing stuff. Um, mostly because I was playing launch day and there wasn't a lot of information on how it worked. You could probably find a video on it now. That's by far the best way to do it. So if you can find like a group of people and join a squad and go to an instance where you can kind of as a group decide, hey, we're going to go work on this one thing or, you know, hey, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to have you know, I'll let you know once the monster has spawned, I've got my cutscene, I'll either back out, we can go in as a group, or you can be standing at the ready to hop in. Um, something like that works a lot better. I'll admit, it's clunky, it, but it is workable, you just kind of have to look for that system. So, you know, we'll, we'll get you hooked up, Jay, and, and kind of in our, our, our squad there, so you can get a little more clean experience, but uh, I, I agree that the solo experience for trying to get other people to play with you is really bad. So that's kind of one of the most, you know, the biggest, you know, scars, I think, on my score. And that's kind of what pushed it away from a 10 and closer to a 9, because that was very frustrating when we first started playing. Yeah, no, and trust me, this is, uh, you, you know, I could see where, uh, I could see where this this might initially turn somebody off. Uh, so that, that's something I do think they need to address is like, how do they, how do they get people more involved in the social capacity of the game? Uh, and, and, you know, a guild or clan system or something like that would probably like that's actually baked into the game would probably be, you know, really, really cool in this. And, and now that I think about it, it's, I'm, it's a little, I'm not going to say it's a little odd, but I, I guess I'm a little surprised that, um, they did, they did, they don't have anything really like that like in the game when it came out, but you never know. I mean, like I said, it's pretty good and I can absolutely see why it's definitely getting a, uh, a whole lot of, whole lot of folks downloading and playing it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it's, it's something I'm looking forward to playing more. It has its dark souls, like frustrating moments where you get one shotted when you think things are going great and you just put yourself in a bad situation. It's usually your fault for getting one shotted, but you, you know, you learn and you do better next time, but uh, it's good stuff. I am putting a link in the description for uh, the notes, or I have a link ready, so I can put it in there, uh, to a YouTuber. His name is Eric's Gaming. Um, this is the link I sent to Jay to kind of give him some help on using the bow and that sort of thing. He doesn't have all the weapon guides out yet, but the ones he does have out are absolutely fantastic. They're, they're very good. If you played The Division at all, you might have run across this guy in the past. He did a lot of Division stuff as well. Um, and his, the quality yeah. of his stuff is top-notch. He, he, uh, this is definitely one of the, I mean, it's a very professionally done video too, by the way. It's, it's like, you know, like when he's describing like, uh, 
basic combos or moves that you do with a given weapon or whatever, you know, they have the, you know, the art, uh, you know, the animation of the, of the actual buttons for you. And, and he does it in a very, very smooth and professional way. I mean, it's definitely, it's a really good video. So absolutely hats off to that guy, but uh, definitely uh, highly, highly recommend you guys check that out. And, and again, check out monster hunter world. It may not, this is not, this is not a game that is normally my cup of tea in all honesty, but you know, I'm in, I'm trying to like branch out a little bit of my gameplay and uh, it's, it's definitely growing on me after playing for mostly pretty much all day today. I definitely see where the attraction is and I'm very interested in and very eager to kind of, kind of attack the game more, but it's, it's something that you need to kind of, you know, I would say you, you play for a while and you back off, play other games and you come back to it. It definitely has that much depth to it. And there's not a lot, it's not a heavy RPG element. So you don't like lose story plots or anything like that. Uh, I don't know how long the main quest campaign lasts, but probably, probably about as long as, you know, probably Destiny 2, I suspect. I don't I'm know, still, I'm still working on it. I haven't beaten it yet. And okay, I've been so a probably lot. technically yeah. a little bit longer, but again, there's no there's no real roaming around. It's just boss fight after boss fight after boss fight, essentially. Pretty much. Uh, and there's a gazillion side quests and, you know, alternate things you can do, I guess. Yeah, I, I will say, just as a general note to people, if you do pick it up, some of the side quests are actually they unlock upgrades to certain key systems like the canteen which just gives you buffs when you go out uh, for missions that sort of thing keep an eye on the side quests there's again probably some videos out there that can give you some specifics on ones you should watch out for but don't discredit them and think that they're just there for filler um, some of them are actually really important to do so keep an eye out for that okay so this one uh, <laughs> has been a long one in the making and i've we did this for Dungeon Crawl. Um, it lasted way longer than I thought it was going to, but it was um, quite the experience. So a game that I've been talking about for a while, and I kind of gave some initial thoughts on a while back, was uh, Near Automata. And I'm probably going to take a little bit of time to talk about this one, so try not to snooze off, but I, I, I really think this is important to talk about because it's, um, it's an important game. Uh, after getting through the whole thing and kind of collecting my thoughts on it, I, I really wanted to, to give a bit of a deep dive on it. So... Um, I'm not going to give uh, spoilers at all. I'm very, it's very important that you do not let anything spoil this game because there's some stuff that can totally blow apart the entire story in about three seconds if you're not careful. So, you know, I'm going to be very careful with spoilers. Um, I might say stuff that will spoil the original Nier game. Um, nothing in depth, but, you know, that is the game that came before this one. So at this point, it's kind of fair game. So here we go with my review of Nier Automata. Okay, so... It takes place in the year uh, 11,945 AD. Uh, this is about 8,000 years after the events of Nier. And it takes place on Earth. Like, it is meant to be an extension and a continuation of our Earth. It's not like a fantasy world. It is, you know, what it is. Now, there have some been some events that have happened which have caused some more supernatural things to happen, crossover from other games that has been produced by Yoko Taro, who is the director of this game. But for the most part, it's meant to be our world, you know, 9,000 years later. So aliens have invaded at this point, and this is like, again, long after the events of Nier, and they've kind of deployed these machine life forms onto the planet, and they are, you know, taking over the world. And so humanity has fled to the moon, and they've produced and dispatched these androids, and their whole job is to 
go down to the Earth and retake the planet from the machine life form so that humanity can return to the Earth and, you know, repopulate. You're playing as an android named 2B, and it's kind of following her story through the war, through the war against the machines, uh, along with her partner, whose name is 9S. And that's kind of their model number, basically. It's just that's that generation is the 2B and the 9S models. So that's kind of the, the brief synopsis of the story of, of kind of the, the setup. Combat-wise, um, I know last week Jay had kind of asked, like, if you like this game, you'll like Nier Automata. And I kind of have to take this in two parts. Um, in terms of combat, the closest comparison I've got is like Devil May Cry or Bayonetta. It is a third-person, very fast kind of combo-based action RPG. You're going to be, you know, flying around with swords and hammers and great swords and spears, and you're going to be slicing things up and, you know, doing combos and switching weapons mid-combo and that sort of thing. And it's all very, very flashy. Um, the controls aren't nearly as complicated as those games, um, but it is kind of that similar feel. So if you like that style of game, if you like a Devil May Cry or a Bayonetta where it's, you know, you've got a very quick, nimble character and you can do lots of cool, flashy combos and fight a bunch of enemies and that sort of thing. You're going to like this game. Um, it's it's very good and does a good job of that. The controls, like I said, are, are a little more simplistic. It's not got the crazy combo system with Devil May Cry, um, but there's like tons of weapons. There's four different archetypes. I think there's small swords, large swords, spears, and combat bracers, which are like a, like a knuckle punch weapon um and you can carry two of those at a time and you can switch between the mid combo whenever you want so you can kind of get some interesting things going depending on when you use what weapon in which combination at what time during the combo so there's kind of some exploration in terms of combat and what you can do it looks really good um it's very fast like it's it's zippy like you're this android you can do these aerial dodges and you're, you're just you're quick like you feel like it's this high performance combat android it feels a little weird at first because you are so fast that things are just like a little overwhelming and how quick you can move and that sort of thing but as you kind of get the feel for it it kind of settles into this this rhythm that you get while you're playing and it actually feels really really good you, you kind of like i said it's like a rhythm it's kind of this dance of you know dodge and attack and jump and this sort of thing and it just kind of starts to flow really really well it feels really good it's very satisfying um as for difficulty the difficulty can be changed i think it goes from easy to very hard um and you can change at any point you want you don't have to start the game in one play it through the whole way you can just ramp it up or down whenever you feel like it easy mode has some interesting options where you can turn on like auto evade and auto attack they're optional but if you have like a disability or something that would prevent you from being proficient at kind of an action game like this it, i'll say it, the game kind of plays itself for you if you want to take make use of these it makes it very easy. The combat pretty much takes care of itself, and it allows you to enjoy the story for, for what it is. Um, I played on normal. The gameplay was still pretty easy. Um, I didn't want to be too challenged with it because I was there for the story, not necessarily the, the challenge of combat. But I have heard that the very hard, the top difficulty is actually very challenging. So if you're looking for like a really tough, high-difficulty action game, it's there. Um, but you've got options. you know. So if, like I said, if you've got like a disability, there's the easy mode, which, you know, don't don't be offended you know it's it's designed for that in mind so if you can't play it you're not locked out of the experience and i was I, I like that but overall the gameplay is not too hard but it's very zippy very fast it, it feels good so gameplay experience um i've mentioned this before but 
the style of the game can change dramatically depending on the moment. It does so very seamlessly. So most of the time it's kind of an over the shoulder, um, kind of the perspective you might see in like, uh, like I said, Devil May Cry Bayonetta, even like a, a God of War sort of thing where it's, 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 you know, you're kind of floating behind and um, that's, that's the, the norm. However, it will switch camera perspectives in a pretty dramatic way. So one example is that you're you're running around this amusement park and eventually you climb on top of a roller coaster, okay? So the roller coaster starts going along. So on a roller coaster, you're standing, the camera pans into like a side view. And so now the game is basically a side scroller where you can jump up and down, go left, right, but you've lost that that depth, that forward back. Um, and it kind of turns into this interesting, you know, change of pace where things are coming down at different angles and that sort of thing. Um, others you'll go to like a full top-down view or like an isometric view. There's even like uh, segments where you'll get into this like exo flight unit and you can kind of fly around like those uh, old bullet hell games where you had the plane, you had to dodge all the slow-moving projectiles while you're shooting and trying to blow up things and, and not get hit in the process. And so it's all over the place. And the game makes no, it doesn't wait at all to throw you into these very different sort of situations. You might think that that's really clunky and weird. Um, and in most games, I say it would be. But the reason it works so well is because the controls between all of these different perspectives, these different modes, it doesn't change at all. Like the exact same controls work no matter what you're doing. It's all seamless into how you kind of blend into these these areas. And it just works. So you're the experience and the gameplay you have is never interrupted. What you have to do with the controller is never changing, even though what you're seeing on screen is obviously a very different experience. So it feels really good. It feels seamless, extremely well designed. And, and the original Nier did this too, but I think they've really polished it out in Automata and kind of nailed it. So it's very unique. You're not going to get that in pretty much any other game, that kind of seamless transition between gameplay styles. Um, and, and kind of to that point, there's actually a boss fight near the end of uh, the game, and you play it from the perspective of two different characters at the same time, and you're basically switching back and forth between the two like every 30 seconds or so. And one of them is in kind of that third person action thing, and the other one is in the top down kind of bullet hell uh, flight sort of uh, thing. And you're going back and forth you know, back and forth, you know, every 30 seconds or so, trying to fight two different bosses at the same time. You think it's weird, but it actually works really well because, again, the controls never change. It's always the same controls. And there's a, you have to readjust a little bit, you know, when you're obviously changing perspectives, but it just works. And that is, that was one of the coolest boss fights I've ever seen in the game. Like, Livy can agree. I was giggling when we were doing it because it was just like, this is so freaking awesome. Like, it's just so unique, really, really cool. You wouldn't have seen that in another game because the control scheme is usually not that well designed. Um, as for how the map is laid out, it's different than what you might expect, but it just kind of works. So it's it's kind of built around this central area, and I'll say it's open world because it, it's not like Witcher levels of open world, but it is a seamless environment. You, you're never going to have like a loading screen between going through um, different areas. And you've got the central like city ruins area, and then there's different areas that kind of pop off of that. Um, and you'll you'll go to different parts of the map. You'll go to like the desert area or the forest area or the castle area. Um, and they just kind of stem off of this central city area. Um, and what what works for this is that in a lot of story games, you know, like I'll say like Destiny, for example, you go to like Planet X, you do your thing, you move on. You're never going to go back to Planet X in that same that same story. It's usually like you, you kind of go in, you use the area, and when you're done with it, you move on. In this game... 
they have you revisit the same areas um, multiple times. And we'll kind of get to it later in terms of what the perspectives are. But in many cases, you're there for very different reasons. And the types of enemies you see there and the things that are happening in there are very unique and different. And in some cases, the terrain itself will actually change. And this is very tied to what's going on in the story. And it kind of, you're left with this memory of like, wow, I remember what this was like last time I was here. Um, you know, it's some amount of time has passed, but it's it's changed. It's the same area, but it's changed in a meaningful way. And it, it kind of gives you that sense of gravity of what's going on in the story is very serious. And in what what's happening is actually has a very deep influence on what's going on in the story. And I like that they reuse some of the areas because it gives them that opportunity to kind of show the world is changing based off of what's going on. And that's very well done. It's, it's surprisingly well done. I, I didn't expect it, but it just kind of works in, in a way I wasn't expecting. So it's it's good. Um, so that's kind of like the experience. So for visuals, you're not going to see extremely detailed worlds like you would in like Destiny or Monster Hunter world. You're not going to see like every little crazy detail of every little tree and bug and that sort of thing. They have exactly as much detail as they need to to get the point and the mood across for what's going on in that area. Um, I won't say that they're simplistic graphics, but they are what is necessary and nothing more. That might turn some people off. Um, I think it's in some ways a stylistic choice. It might be in others that it was a resource choice that they just weren't going to spend the money on building, you know, this overly detailed world. So just, you know, full disclosure on that. Um, one complaint that the original Nier had is that the world was kind of muted. There wasn't a lot of color in it. Automata in some ways has that, but in others, absolutely not. Usually if there's a lack of color or it's faded, um, it's meant for a very specific stylistic or symbolic reason. Because some areas are absolutely gorgeous. Like the, the, um, the amusement park area is this vibrant color. It's kind of this pinkish red. Um, and it sets this very, you know, distinctive tone, this very, you know, symbolic tone of what's going on in there. So I will say that I think that they've really dialed in. They were, they might've been going for a stylistic choice before, but I think they've made it a little more obvious here where, you know, you'll, you'll notice very, <laughs> it's very obvious. You'll work on, you'll walk on one area that's very colorful and you'll walk into another one that is suddenly very not colorful and you see the screen kind of desaturate almost in it. It has a very emotional and kind of visual, you know, response in your mind that like, wow, this place is different. It's, it's, it's stark, it's bleak. Um, it does a very good job at kind of triggering those kinds of thoughts and emotions as you're playing. So in terms of, like I said, there's areas that are very colorful, but there's also some that are very bland and, and flat, but it's, it's for a reason and it works really well. So, you know, I, I, I thought I should bring that up because that, like I said, that was a complaint I have with the original Nier is that it all felt very flat, but I think in, in this case, it was incredibly intentional and very well executed what they were going for. Um, that being said, each area is extremely unique. Um, they're very clearly designed to tell certain types of stories for what's going on in that area. Um, because the kinds of characters you meet, the things you interact with, are all very distinctive and tailored for the area you're in. And the world has been designed to fit those stories. So it always feels like it's it's what's happening is taking place in the right area. Ultimately, when you look at things, it's a little silly to have this city and amusement park and a desert and a forest, like, literally next to each other. Um, but that aside, you know, it, it's designed in a way that I think complements what's going on in the story very, very well. So it's simplistic, but it gets the job done and what it needs to do. So in terms of audio, 
Um, similar to the visuals, the audio for the sound effects gets the job done. Um, they're very crisp, very clean. You know, the the sound of the sword slashes feels satisfying. It it, it helps to you know, again, enforce the, reinforce the gameplay and what you're trying to do. Um, it gets the job done. It's good, um, but nothing that I'd be like, oh my god, best sound effects ever. Music, however, is clearly off the chart. Like, incredibly good soundtrack. Like, Nier had a great soundtrack. Automata blows it out of the water. It's the best soundtrack I've heard last year, um, and probably in a very long time. It's just they know exactly what they need to do with the music to set the mood, the tone, in reinforce what's going on in the story it's amazing if you even if you will never play this game look up the soundtrack um it's it's worth listening to even just on a purely musical um standpoint um another interesting thing they do is that with like the ambient music there's three versions of almost every track in the game and they are the same song but they overlay a different level of intensity of what's going on so like you may walk into a new area in a very light you know ambient music will start playing and then there's a different version of the same song that will overlay perfectly on it but it's got more intensity to it so let's say you start to kind of see some enemies things are getting a little tense the music will fade directly into that so there's no noticeable transition it just feels very natural because it's the intensity fades in because like i said the different tracks layer on top of each other and then you enter combat and combat's got another level of intensity and so you know, you've got this, this, the music matches the uh, the tone of what's going on, but it never breaks. Like a lot of games, you'll go in, there's like ambient music, and then you, you enter combat and different song starts playing. And there's like a crossfade and, and you hear the new song. This isn't like that. It's the same song throughout, no matter what you're doing in a given area, but it will increase or decrease its intensity of, you know, what's going on depending on what's happening. And it it really helps to make sure that everything you're doing is a very continuous very, you know, it's got strong continuity. It feels like what you hear matches what's going on and not in a way that makes you go, okay, now I'm entering the battle theme. You know, it's just, it feels more intense, you know? And the only other game I've seen to actually do this is the Doom 2016 soundtrack, um, which is also absolutely fantastic, which I probably would have said is the best soundtrack I heard in 2016. So, you know, great musical talent there. Um, Absolutely fantastic. You should listen to the Near Automata soundtrack, regardless if you're going to play the game or not. It's just, it's that good. It's, it's really good. Um, interestingly enough, there's a lot of vocals in the game. It's almost entirely a made-up language. Um, it's based off hmm. of languages, um, but it's not the same language. And they, it's kind of an interesting story. They're, they're handing one of the singers that does some of the vocals. They said, okay, here's the, the lyrics. And she's like, well, how do I pronounce the word? And they basically said, don't worry about it. Just pronounce it whatever whatever feels best. Sing sing the music which makes it sound the best. It, it's not important because we're not trying to necessarily replicate an actual language. And if you think about it, this is taking place in the year 11,000. This is so far in the future that any language that existed now, they're not going to be pronouncing it the same way in the future. And it actually works really well. That's cool. I mean, it's... Uh... This is one of the things that uh, I was kind of interested about. You mentioned the soundtrack. I actually pulled a, a couple samples of it off on YouTube. It It's exceptionally good. Just look what little I've heard of it. Yeah, and they, they really embrace it. And there's, like I said, there's a, a lot of interesting things that you could even read about, just the story behind the soundtrack and in the chaos language. And, and they go into it with that. It's, it's, it's very good. So I do suggest you listen to it. Um, I also like this one particular song where it is sung in English and Japanese, um, the same song, but the meaning is slightly different between the two. And the 
official mix of the song actually uses both versions um, and it kind of transitions back and forth. Again, it's symbolic to what's going on. I'm not going to spoil it, but um, that's also a very good one. Um, the Weight of the World is, is the song I'm talking about. Hmm. So moving along to the story, and this is this is why I played this game. So, you know, <laughs> in terms of things I can relate to the story, there's nothing that's really similar to this. And I, I thought about it for a couple of weeks, especially after you kind of mentioned it um, last week, Jay. And I just there's nothing that I can really say this is like in near Automata. The closest comparison I could get is in terms of setting and kind of tone is the Dark Souls and the Bloodborne um, games in this fact that as you're going through this world, through this story, you get this, I mean, you know what's going on in the story, right? But the feel you get from what you are seeing and hearing and knowing, what things you know about, you have this overwhelming sense that the world is just broken, that something has gone horribly wrong. People are just, everything is so messed up beyond reason. People are just really struggling to, you know, make by make it through the make it through the day and try to you know and try to fix things and you really see that in like dark souls and bloodborne everything is just so screwed up automata is the same way like you see remnants of this past civilization of our civilization that has just been completely destroyed bastardized not in the way that you've seen like fallout where it's almost kind of this like hey would it be crazy if this you know post-apocalyptic and we're all using ray guns it's more like people have suffered like a lot in the path to where we're at right now. And you're seeing the remnants of that suffering. And it's just, it's, it's bleak. It's depressing. It, it, the world feels broken is the best way I could put it. So if you like that kind of setting, that kind of general feel of the story, this is going to really appeal to you. If you like the dark souls, demon souls, bloodborne, it's kind of in that same thread of thought. Um, it is a tragedy. The story is definitely a tragedy by what happens in the world, what happens to the characters. It's, it's very, you know, it's tragic. Um, and it's just kind of the characters trying to find their place in all of this and trying to fix what they can and try to make some sense and bring some semblance of normalcy to their lives and what's going on. That's where they're at. So what makes this important is that the story takes place from multiple perspectives. Um, I'll get to it in a minute, but there's multiple playthroughs where in many cases you're seeing the same events from multiple characters' perspectives. And it really shows that you can take an event and look at it from two different ways to see two completely different things happen and conflict can arise from that just by misunderstanding or the inability to communicate or relate to how that person is seeing the events going on conflict will arise from seeing the same exact thing from a different perspective. And because you're playing in many cases, the same event from different perspectives, you really see how it's not even the character's fault. It's just circumstance. And that really gives a strong, you know, a strong feeling of, of perspective to what's going on in that this all kind of sucks and it's no one's fault. Um, and so, and like I said, that that's kind of related to the playthroughs. We'll get to that in a second. So another thing is the game touches very, very heavily on um, different forms of philosophy. There's multiple religious references um, and a very, very heavy emphasis on existentialism. So if you're familiar at all with, you know, Jean-Paul Sartre or um, Kierkegaard or um, Nietzsche, you'll feel at home. And many of the characters are actually named after famous existentialists um, based off of books that the characters have read from, you know, our time, you know, our, our, our philosophers. And, you know, it's these machines and these androids trying to figure out what the hell their purpose is and all of this, you know, 
and it, it, it kind of is meant to mirror a, a crisis that a lot of people feel even nowadays where there's a lack of purpose, a lack of, you know, do you, what is your, what's the point of you in this world? Like what, what's the point of doing anything that you're doing? Um, and so, like I said, a lot of them turn to existentialism because, you know, that was a movement in philosophy that, that questioned a lot of those things. And that's where a lot of people were drawn to, to kind of find some of those answers and other groups look to religion. Like I said, there's lots of biblical references. There's um, some Muslim references. You see a whole swath of, of references in this game of, everyone looking for their own different perspective of how can I find meaning in this broken world? And, you know, they all do it in very, very different ways, drastically different ways. And that itself causes conflict. So again, perspective is kind of a big part of the game. Um, and so this kind of comes to the playthrough. So it's a Yoko Taro game. If you're all familiar with his work, um, he did the Dragon Guard series. He obviously did the first Nier, and then he did Nier Automata. So the way these games are meant to be played is you play through them multiple times. And there's actually technically 26 different endings to the game. Five of them actually matter. The rest are kind of joke endings for you know, do, doing doing something weird. You know, like I'll spoil one of them. One character hands you this fish and says, "I want to see what happens if an android eats a fish." If you eat the fish, you just die, and the story ends, and you get like the fish ending. Um, another one is you rip out the OS chip out of your uh, out of your yourself, and you basically delete your own System Thirty Two, and you know you die. Huh. They're, 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 they're joke endings, right? The ones that matter are, are, are endings A through E. So through playthrough A, basic setup of the story. You know, again, I'm not going to spoil anything, but you kind of get through the first half of the game as one character. Um, playthrough B, you it is literally the exact same thing, the same events as playthrough A, but from the perspective of a different character, someone who is very close to the character you play in playthrough A. However, due to that character's abilities and what they can see and what they understand, and there is a brief point where they're not together, they see things very differently and you have a different perspective on what's actually going on same events very different perspective your understanding of what's going on is drastically different by the end of playthrough b like a seems very straightforward like okay cool great we saved the day playthrough b you're like holy shit i had no clue any of that happened and i just i, I just glossed over it so that in of itself is, is very interesting. Then you go to the playthrough C, and so playthrough C is kind of the continuation of A and B. So this is the second half of the story. And throughout this one, you're going to be switching perspectives between multiple characters. Again, often seeing similar events from different perspectives, and you kind of get to, I'll say, the conclusion of what's going on. At the end of playthrough C, you're, you're left with a choice of this one choice over the other. Um, depending on which one you get, you get one of the two endings that are possible. Um, play, and this is when you unlock your chapter select. And once you clear ending C, you get chapter select, you can kind of go back and drop in at any point during the story to pick up any side quests you might have missed, get some weapons you might have missed, that sort of thing. And that's kind of the bulk grind of like, hey, if you're going to do side quests, this is kind of the time to do it. Um, so in our playthrough, we did that to the side quest, got all of the, you know, optional um, important story stuff and, uh, you know, went on from there. Play Ending D. So like I said, there's a choice of the ending of playthrough C. Um, ending D is the other choice you make. OK, so it is kind of the alternate option of what you can pick. And that provides the fourth ending. Um, and that's, you know, that's 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 pretty good and interesting. And then there's playthrough E. So. Playthrough E is basically a direct continuation of ending D. Um, it's very short. It's immediately what happens after ending D. 
and it leads you to the true ending, which is ending E. And that's that ending is what determined the rating of this game for me. That 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 experience of of that final segment is what made the rating. So I'll I'll get to that in a bit here. Um, a big question I always get is, do you need to play the original Nier to enjoy this game? Shorter answer is no, you don't. Um, it is designed in a way that you can enjoy this game for what it is within its own bubble of the universe entirely without knowing anything about Nier. However, I do suggest that at the very least, very, very least, watch like a lore video about what happened in the first game. Um, I've produced one. It's about 10 minutes long. Um, there's some much more in-depth ones if you really want the nitty-gritty details, but I will in, in the one I did, it will give you enough to understand certain characters and references that are important to kind of get more out of what's going on in Automata, and it will kind of give a little more perspective to the background of what happened. Um, I really suggest you do at least that if you're going to play this game. However, if you do play the original Nier, it's going to give you so much more perspective of what's going on. There's there's certain details and the things characters have said and they, they've had to go through um, that will mean so much more if you've actually experienced it firsthand. So, you know, my the best suggestion I have is play the original Nier before you play this game. Um, it's not necessary, but from a, you know, if you appreciate this sort of thing, I, I really would try to do it. If it's not your thing, Watch it. Watch like a playthrough, like video on YouTube of someone doing a playthrough of Near. There's like, you know, Near the movie. They just string all the cutscenes together. That will probably suffice if you don't want to play it, um, or at the very least, you know, watch watch the lore video. Um, there are some side quests that are absolutely incredible. I, I know I mentioned a couple weeks ago. Absolutely amazing, and they are in reference to the original Nier, and some of the most emotional moments in the game happen there. You're not going to understand the gravity of what's going on unless you understand the characters and what happened in the first game. Um, unless, if you if you do that. Luckily, they are side quests. They're out of the way. You're not going to run into those unless you look for them. So, you know, don't feel like you're going to be missing out if you didn't decide to, to experience the first game. But again, I really suggest you do. That being said, there are some side quests that honestly are in relation to the story of Automata itself that probably should have been part of the main story somehow, but they're not. Um, there are some videos on YouTube that kind of like list out, like, if you're going to only do some of the side quests, at least hit these side quests, because again, they give better perspective to what's going on in the main game. Um, I really do suggest you do that because it's, it's very quite important that you kind of get the full scope because some things happen where you're like, that would sound a little weird if I didn't know this other thing happened in a side quest. Um, I wish they had taken those and put them in the main story, but I can understand they were trying to kind of streamline the path to the ending and, and let the additional information be something you could seek out on your own. So just keep that in mind. So overall, the game is very tight. It's very flashy, quick and responsive. The controls are fantastic. It's a very unique moment-to-moment -moment gameplay experience. Um, it's very satisfying. It's understandable, easy to approach. It feels good. You know, if you like, like I said, Devil May Cry, Bayonetta, you're going to be right at home here. Story's insightful, and it's very thought-provoking. It kept me guessing. I'm usually pretty good at guessing how plots are going to go in stories, but this one really kept me and Livy discussing back and forth throughout our, our Dungeon Crawl playthrough, like, what's actually going on? Um, and that's, whenever a game can deliver that to me, where they keep it unpredictable, but still have it make sense at the end, you know, I got to give it top scores for that. Um, 
just very, very fantastic story. Um, it raises a lot of questions about how we interact with each other, like on a very human level. And it's it's kind of chilling almost in a way, the way they kind of put it into perspective, you know, from, you know, not from the perspective, not from the perspective of humans, uh, but or but rather creations of humans and how they see how we interact and how they deal with similar problems. It made me kind of uncomfortable, um, but like in a good way that makes you, you know, think like, wow, you know, that the way that we do things is kind of fucked up. You know, humanity is mm -hmm. not so, so great every time, you know, every day. Um, and it, it, I like that it made me feel kind of uncomfortable about that. So mechanically, this game is not perfect. There's, you know, some things that I could gripe about with the lip syncing is bad or the fishing mini game is annoying. You know, not nothing. No game is perfect, though, you know, and if we're going to say that you have to be have a mechanically perfect game to get a score of 10, we might as well just rate games one one through nine, you know, um, and this game really made me think. Is it about the mechanics of the game or is it about the experience that I got from playing this game? You know, we we play games because we're looking for an experience, not necessarily a mechanically perfect thing. As long as, you know, it's giving us the experience we want, that's really what matters, right? Um, and up until that point through endings A through D, I was like, this is a 9 out of 10 experience. Um, it is it is fantastic. Like, it is amazing and it's just it's it's great and then ending e happened um and i have to say that what the game was saying in ending e and the way that it presented it and the way that it the emotions in the thought process i went through to make it from the start of that to the end of ending e was so thought-provoking and incredible in the way that it presented it that I, I don't you don't see any game do anything like this there's one game that is remotely similar but i'm not gonna even say what it is because it might spoil something but this is so unique that i was like speechless at the end just like my, my heart's racing i'm just like that wow you know like it doesn't get any better than that um ending e makes this game what it is and the more i thought about it after experiencing the end of that after getting the experience of the whole game a through e i was like it would be wrong to give this thing any less than a 10 out of 10 in terms of experience um it just I, I couldn't i couldn't justify you know we have this kind of urge to go well it, you know nothing's perfect but really when i thought about it with like the way i felt at the end of that game and i waited a couple of weeks i wanted to make sure that it wasn't just caught up in the moment when i i gave it this 10 out of 10 i wanted to make sure that that's really what i felt about it so two weeks later i still think exactly the way i did when i when i completed the game and finished that up that that last part Near Automata is a 10 out of 10 experience. It's not mechanically perfect, but it is a perfect experience in what it is trying to say, what it is trying to do, and how it makes you feel as a player. And this, for those who will play it, is going to be one of the most influential games that you're probably ever going to touch. And the sad part is, is that most people won't play it. They, they probably won't. They're going to look at the cover of the game and see this, you know, white-haired, you know, dominatrix looking made thing with a sword and think, oh, it's just another crazy Japanese game, you know, and it is a crazy Japanese game, but they're just going to kind of shove it off and, and think nothing of it, you know, um, and just say, I'll pass, you know, it, it's not for me. It's weird. It's different. It's, it's not for me. It's outside what I normally play. And that's a real shame um, because most people aren't going to play this game. And I think most people should play this game because you're not going to get this anywhere else. I've never seen anything like this anywhere else. The whole package. It's, it's, 
it's beyond anything I've seen um, in terms of in terms of experience and just overall how it made me feel and think. It's in a league of its own, and it's it's going to be one of the most influential games I've ever played um, in my lifetime. I mean, I'm almost 30 here, and this is like it might be the best game I've played in terms of experience. So, like I said, most people aren't going to play it; they really should. Um, you know, we'll we'll start airing the episodes of Dungeon Crawl for this soon, um, but for me, this is as good as it's going to get in terms of a gaming experience. And you know, maybe in ten years I'll be proven wrong, but right now it's it's something else. So you know, my final rating for Near Automata is a ten out of ten. Um, I thought a lot about it, and that's that's the most appropriate score I can give it. So. That's kind of my review of it, and please, if even if it looks like it's not for you, even if you think it's weird, if it's crazy, please go play this game, or at least watch someone play it. But really, you, you really need to play it to get the full experience, and you'll understand why when you're doing it. But just, you know, if I, if I gotta ask anything of, of the viewers or of the hosts here, you gotta trust me on this one. Um, it's 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 perfect, you know. Um, so that's my thoughts on it. Um, I've been thinking about it a while, or playing it a while, and it's it's great. So you know, near automata ten uh, ten. That's that's my score. So uh, I, I got a couple questions for you, Pokey. The um, the the first thing I would ask is generally, what was the length of the game? Acknowledging that like multiple playthroughs are, are kind of des- baked into it. They're designed into it. What's the length of a, of generally a playthrough? That That's going to depend a lot on how much you're going to dive into the side content. Um, Let's say just kind of ma- like core story just stuff. Just core story. Mm, that's a good question. Um, you're probably looking at, if you take your time and, and kind of enjoy it, and it's probably like 30, 35 hours just going straight through it. That's, that's longer than I thought. That's, that's, that's yeah, pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's you can probably blitz it if you know what you're doing and just plow through it really quick. Um, but like I said, if you enjoy it at what I feel would be a reasonable pace, probably about 30 hours or so. That's pretty cool. The um, well, So I, I found it interesting when you were describing the gameplay. Um in terms of like utilizing Bayonetta and some other things like that, which are, you know, on the surface, some fairly complex games to play from like a, you know, a buttonology standpoint with like the number of combos and the way you do things. But um, this, it strikes me that, like you said, you can kind of tune the game in its settings to, to allow you to get to that more story driven approach, uh, which is actually kind of a staple of what a lot of like old school RPG, like, you know, kind of classic you know, isometric RPGs would do that were that were truly story based. It, if you wanted it to be more about the story and less about the combat, you could. I mean, that's essentially what you would do. That would slide the difficulties up and down. Yeah, yeah, and, and like I said, there's some options you can turn on, like auto attack, auto evade. It's a little silly in how how much the game plays itself for you, but you know, if that's all you care, if you don't care about that, you know, it, it's an option. You know, the combat's good. Don't get me wrong. But I know a lot of people have disabilities. They'd struggle with something like this. Um, and that option's there just to kind of allow you to, to push it through and let the game kind of take care of that part for you so you can really just enjoy it as a story experience. So what, what, other, uh, what other games has, like, uh, you know, like this director? Or, like, are there or do they have anything else in the pipeline or anything uh, that folks would recognize outside this, either from the... The studio or that game dev you're talking about the director you're talking about he's most well known for his work in the dragon guard series um okay all right gotcha <clears throat> yeah dragon guard which 
three was okay. The first two are kind of a mess, um, but he's he's evolved quite a bit over that. He's he's, he's had a long career. Um, Drakengard is the big one um, near um, the first one, obviously, and then Automata. And they've already said they're going to. Automata was so successful that they will continue to make near games going forward. So you'll see more from him. Um, probably nothing in the pipeline immediately since the game is still fairly new but they have already said we're going to be doing more of it because it was the commercial success and we enjoyed working on it okay now that sounds pretty cool it's this is definitely one of these things that i will i will likely not get to but will probably have a lustrous location on my like you know games i need to get around to is from what it sounds like i mean i'm like I can tell by just by the kind of the emotion in your in your voice, like when you're describing it, the uh, like the the experience that you're going through in the gameplay, the things that it made you, made you think about and kind of kind of work through, uh, was was fairly significant. And there's there's a few games that do that. It's it, it's I think the first time that I ever really kind of had to sit back and really think through a game was maybe Planescape Torment, like a long 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 time ago. Um, but, and I've always been fascinated by those games that are that are truly narrative in nature, uh, and when they're coupled with like really good environmentals and stuff like that, what you really get is like that kind of that sort of slight blurring between uh, a game and a interactive story is sort of the way I would describe it. So that, that definitely made me very interested in uh, in checking this out. Yeah, I mean, and I understand that. Oh, it's gonna not be at the top of everyone's list. It's got to be at the top of most people's lists. If there's so many games to play, you know, and I even didn't touch this one for longer than I thought I would because I was a big fan of the first one. I was like, oh, yeah, once it comes, I'm going to jump on it. And then it's just like it, when it came out, there was so much other stuff I wanted to get to. I just never did. And it just kind of on a whim as we decided to do it for Dungeon Crawl because, you know, we were finishing up Prey and I was like, oh, this is a good excuse to do it, you know. Um, and I, I kind of regret not jumping on it sooner um, than I did because of, of what it gave me. So I understand completely that people can't get to it necessarily, and they might put in like some that list of things I would like to get to eventually. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it is what it is, right? And um, I will say that if you can get to it, this is something you should really make an effort to get to and, and for God's sakes, make sure you do all the endings, uh, all the five main ones. The rest of them are like I said, not important, but the five main ones, absolutely critical to get the, the true scope of what's going on and understand what I'm what I'm talking about. And when you finish the last one, you'll understand what I'm getting at. I just I can't. It would be impossible for me to really describe what's going on, much less what I want to to spoil anything. Sounds good. Okay, guys. Well, um, so that's out of the way. Like I said, I've been having that one in my mind for a few weeks now, but uh, you know, got that out. So is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we close this one up for an episode? Uh, no, not, not, not that I can think of, man. All right. Sounds good then. So let's start off with uh, some shout outs then. So Zell buddy, what's up? Um, nothing. You know, Zell, you started strong. You had a good intro, a slow intro, but a good intro. And then you just let me down in the end. You're really disappointing me. It's okay. You'll get over it. I'll probably get over it until next week when it happens again. All right. Uh, so it looks like uh, Bait actually had to bounce. Unfortunately, he had a, a bit of a personal issue to take care of and help one of his friends out. So you're up, Jay. Let's shout out for you, man. Uh, absolutely. So I will legit give my shout out to uh, to Herricks. Is that his name? The, uh, the Herricks, yeah. 
the yep. So, and it's spelled kind of odd. It's like A R K E Z. Um, again, very, very professional YouTube content maker. Uh, he's done, he's, I've seen some of his division videos, which he breaks down that game exceptionally well, by the way. Uh, particularly, he, he actually had a video that described the changes that the, the division has gone over, um, you know, over the course of its lifetime and why it's so much different of a game than when it first released. Uh, that actually made me go back and take another look at the game. And he very clearly and professionally describes uh, what, you know, what it is and what it isn't. And he did, he's doing the same thing for Monster Hunter. Uh, so uh, fairly, fairly popular kind of YouTube content creator. But if you're getting into the game Monster Hunter, highly recommend you check out his stuff. We'll have that link in the show notes. Um, and just general shout out to other content creators that help people along with games. It's, I, I was... It, uh, my first thought is it's kind of a cottage industry, so to speak, but there's a lot of people out there that's doing some really, really professional, you know, breakdowns on some of this stuff. Um, and it's always kind of fun to watch. And the game companies are more and more embracing these kind of content creators. Like EA actually has, uh, they're referred to as EA Game Changers. And it's like a very specific sort of uh, set of, you know, for lack of a better term, internet media folks that are players and then they feature gameplay of EA products and they bring them up periodically and showcase things to them, let them come out and, and help actually utilize them as part of uh, the mechanism about explaining about what's going on with the game. And then, and also in, in a very odd sort of somewhat more libertarian way than how CCP did it, uh, getting a pulse of what the audience thinks outside of, you know, random toxic forms and reddits. So, it's a it's kind of a neat thing that's been growing up sort of very organically, and then there's a lot of there's a lot of companies that do this now, and a lot of content creators that have very deep links into not like they're getting paid for paid for, but they get good information uh, mostly because of the service that they give and the quality of uh, the quality of content that they push. Uh, and one of the things most of them really strive to do, uh, this guy Eric's is one of them. Another Bife, the guy that we talk about reference reference, uh, you know, variety like Destiny lore and a variety of other other things. They take a lot of pride in not being uh, tied or overly associated with the given companies that make the games that they cover. Uh, they just do a really, really good job of covering them on, on a fairly specific basis. So that being said, hats off to Eric's and uh, folks like him making videos. Highly recommend you check his channel out if you're looking into to getting into uh, Monster Hunter. Actually, in that thread, my name is Bife has started to do Monster Hunter lore videos. Yeah, as well. I saw that. Yeah. yeah, the story for Monster Hunter is not too interest, not too deep, but the lore is actually deeper than you might expect. And he had a pretty good like seventeen minute video explaining kind of the general backstory of, of the game. So I again check him out. He's a big fan of the series as well. So he's got some good stuff coming out for that. Hopefully, good deal. Um, so my shout out, uh, unsurprisingly, is I'm going to have to give it to. Um, Platinum Games and Yoko Taro and the team that produced Near Automata. Um, it was a privilege. Um, I wish I'd gotten to it sooner, but, you know, fantastic work. Because um, I know they all listen to the show, of course. Uh, but shout out to those guys for for doing some amazing, amazing things that I didn't expect. So good stuff to them. But with that said, I think we are good to close this one up. So, you know, as usual, if you guys want to be on the show, if you have any topics or any games you want us to, to give a shot to, uh, let us know. Biomass.com, biomass.net, all the contact information is there. Uh, we might start streaming and recording some Monster Hunter stuff soon. So uh, keep an eye out for that. It should be fun. And um, yeah, so if you guys don't have anything, we should be good to go.
Sounds good. All right. See you next week, folks.